afternoon. You're listening to Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel, and today I'm so happy to have Tong Hui Hu here with me in the studio. Um, welcome. Thank you. May I call you Wei Wei? Of course. Because that's what I usually call you. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, today we've got, well, we've got so many things, so many poems and so many things to talk about. Um, Wei Wei, do you want to kick it off with the, the, a, a word about the opening reception today of your current uh, collaborative project? Yeah, so at 5 to 6.30 in the Art and Architecture Building on North Campus at the University of Michigan, we have a little reception to celebrate the opening of our sound art installation. I've been working with an architect, Vivian Lee, and several others in collaboration. And uh, what we're doing is we've been asking for the last two months people to leave messages in response to the prompt, when was the last time you cried? And what's happening in this installation is we've taken those messages and built a structure out of those sound forms. And we've also turned a lot of those messages uh, using a computer uh, filter into poems. So um, it's it's kind of a crazy installation. There's an architectural component. There's a poetic component. And hopefully you'll be able to see how that comes together uh, this afternoon. And that computer component. Yes, absolutely. Too. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's great. And there's also the website, um, the uh, lasttimeyoucried.com, yes. that people could check out if they wanted to go and get almost a preview of part of it, I suppose, because I was on that earlier today. Mm -hmm. And it's really what the computer does with the you give a sample Mm -hmm. of what a message that someone has left on the line uh, at some point, and then you change the voice so that it's it's anonymous. What what happens is that we have all these messages hooked up to a voice transcription uh, program or voice uh, recognition program. And if you've ever called into, uh, say, an airline and tried to say your name and it doesn't quite understand you, then that's that, those are the moments where the poems come out. Um, and, of course, when people are being really emotional in these messages, when they're talking about the last time they cried, the computer's especially unable to understand them. So it almost leaves these blanks or these gaps where it mishears words, and those new words that come out of the original message are the ones that we use to construct the poems. Oh, oh that's interesting. That's And you've been working on this project a long time, Wei Wei, haven't yeah. you? Yeah, <laughs> it feels like forever. Weren't you, in, weren't you in Scotland when this part of this happened? Because I remember Sean Norton sent an email saying, if you would like to call this poet, <laughs> I thought... <laughs> know if I want to actually put something that intimate on someone's voicemail in Scottish Castle. I, I, I think that, yeah, I mean, the, the problem is that now I've sort of been known for doing this project, and now people will come up to me that I don't even know and start talking about the last time they cried, and I say, no, 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 the computer wants to hear I don't want to hear it. They feel compelled, right? It's so. like they have to, instead of shaking your hand, they, it's right. like some sort of right of getting to know know you. Right. Oh. And Sugi always says that, I don't know if this is the best way to introduce yourself to people is, you know, the person who collects all these stories of grief and sadness. But um, it's, yes, I've been working on it since um, we were experimenting with it last summer. And then um, we've the collaboration started in the fall, and uh, that's what I was going to ask yeah. you. When did it? Because it was your your own thing mm-hmm. for quite some time, and then and then when did it move to the collaborative, and and, and why? Well, I, I I mean that's one of the wonderful things about Michigan is that you run into people who just have 
strange and common interests. Um, this was through a mutual friend, and uh, she was is a practicing architect, and she teaches in the uh, architecture school. And it's strange because I had actually done a year of architectural history when I started my PhD. Um, so, and, and that was at Berkeley. That was then yeah. way way, and that's where you that's where you moved from to come to Michigan. That's right. I back keep again, um, dropping right? out and coming back. You know what? <laughs> so. Let's hold on. Let I want to hear more about the the project mm-hmm. since this is something that's I don't know like. I was going to say fresh off the grill. Maybe I'm thinking of barbecues because it's a nice day. But um, but before I go any further, I'll read um, a short biography that's from the Osable Press uh, website. Because uh, two of um, Weiwei's books, The Book of Motion and Mine, are here on the table. And mine is from Osable Press, 2007. Mm-hmm. And uh, The Book of Motion um, was with the University of Georgia Press, 2003. And and did that was that picked for... Um, a contemporary I, poetry series. Uh, okay. Okay, and and I feel like the Eisner Prize was yeah given to too. mine as well. To um, mine, okay. I mean, it's funny to it's a little embarrassing because the book of motion I wrote when I was nineteen as an undergrad, so I'm not really sure how I feel reading those poems. Wow! Out loud, but, but at at nineteen, you yeah. wrote the book of motion. Just yeah. to clarify, folks. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think that'll be uh, kind of amazing if you don't mind reading a couple to see. Oh sure. Um, like the. Uh, um, we can see your trajectory or in, in our, our short time together today. <laughs> Got big dreams here, Wei Wei. Um, okay, without further ado, uh, the short bio. A native of San Francisco, Tung Wei Hu has worked as a political consultant and computer scientist and holds degrees from Princeton, Michigan, and UC Berkeley. His work in progress, a third collection of poems, won the 2007 James D. Felon Literary Award. The citation reads, Greenhouses, Lighthouses, is a provocative gesture towards cinematography, a radiant offering for our times. He is a member of the Michigan Society of Fellows. And wait, wait, that means, uh, how to, how long will you be here in, in Michigan? Like, what is the fellowship, it's that particular fellowship, one? It's a fellowship, and I'm Wonderful. really grateful for the Michigan Society of Fellows, which brought me back here. It's this sort of moment of radical interdisciplinarity where we have everything from scientists and uh, people who work on ants uh, to people such as myself who, who uh, look at films to uh, anthropologists. And it's this wonderful gathering where our, our main obligation is to uh, have dinner and lunch with each other and just talk about our work. So... Um, it's it's almost a dream come true to have this fellowship for uh, three years. So that is, and you must be learning a lot about ants too. Then um, I I am learning a lot about ants, though I I don't know if I can perform my ant knowledge on radio. Um, I do know that. Why is it more visual? <laughs> I think I think there's something about these bubbles that come out of its bottom, for lack of a better word, um, the special ant species that uh, Evan, hi Evan, was, was talking about. So um, I, I think uh, he, he studies just the ants on the island of Fiji, and um, so of course he has a very good research um, destination to go to. I, I don't think I have anything that can compare. Um, but yeah, I've, I've been really impressed by just how remarkably interesting everybody that I've met in the society and, and at Ann Arbor has been, and um, I think it leads to things like the collaborative project that we were talking about. And and we should mention because you mentioned Sugi and Sugi mm-hmm. was on the program last week, mm-hmm. um, and and I I met you both together at one of the the welcoming at the art museum at the beginning of the term. 
Yeah, it's actually really great to have Sugi around because uh, we're sort of the kids on the on the fourth floor, and um, it turns out that we of Angel Hall. Of that's Angel what Wei is referring right. to. It's a problem because I spend more time in Angel Hall than I do at home, so I think of everybody there as my neighbors instead of my actual neighbors. But um, Sugi and I actually, it turns out, went to uh, the same middle school together. So um, in Maryland, yeah, that's right. right. Okay, and so so you started off on the East Coast before you moved west. Yeah. Um, even though you were. Born in San Francisco, or wait, that's in strange. Santa Barbara, yeah. <laughs> okay. um, I've, I have a little bit of Southern Californian in me. I, I think that I should have been a beach bum, but somehow um, I ended up doing the opposite. So, uh, <laughs> sitting in movie theaters in the dark, away <laughs> right. from the sun and the surf. I know, it's terrible. <laughs> Whenever the day uh, is as gorgeous as this, my students are always a little grouchy because you know the, the you know blackout curtains go down and the lights go off, and, and we have to sit in the dark and um, watch movies that are the opposite of sunlight. That's true. Um, wait, wait. Well, you mentioned that you're with the Society of Fellows. Mm-hmm. Your your concentration is film, and that's, that's right. what you're you're teaching mm-hmm. too this term. But when you were here at Michigan before, you were here in the the MFA program for poetry. Right, right. Yeah, uh, it was a strange. Uh, time in the MFA program, I actually left uh, for three or four years in the middle of it, and then I went back. So um, I, I, I learned a lot. Did of, you leave to go pursue architecture? Is that I actually left to uh, build part of the internet. I, I got a, kind of a crazy offer to help um, a startup, uh, op, you know, essentially found a company, and I, I thought it was an unbelievable opportunity. So. Um, yeah, I, I think. So, that, how did you? What was? What does that even mean? Like, help build the internet? And can you say it in two minutes? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Before we take our short break, <laughs> it's nothing too exciting. It's just doing the plumbing, uh, as we would joke. Um, essentially, we're connecting cables, and there, at, at the time at least, um, the internet was composed of maybe ten to twenty um, major networks, such as AT and T or Sprint, and they all connected together at the same places. So, my job was essentially to figure out how these should be connected. And how to get one piece of data from, you know, San Francisco to Detroit, um, for instance. So it was a, a lot of designing and architecture, and um, being called at 3 a.m. whenever something broke. So. And and was that your background? Was that your your undergrad work? Really? Yeah, was I it? was both a literature person and a computer scientist was as an undergrad. So it was, uh, I mean, the two, I, I, I'd like to think they have more in common than they actually do. But um, Well, connections, it sounds like. I hope so. That's right. <laughs> you know, everyone always jokes like, oh, poets are seeing connections and everything, and everything's That's connected true. if That's you're a true. poet. So you're just um, helped build the Internet with that right. uh, other aspect of it, right. which is a component that is com- completely other to me. But <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you possess both. I'm glad you say that. I mean... They, they say that finding connections between things is really one of the characteristics of paranoia. So I hope that that just doesn't say that I'm just a really paranoid person. But, um, yeah. No, it's you know what? It's true. John Burnside, he he was on the show earlier this year and he he was uh, well, he had some difficulties with um, uh-huh. his mind at some point. But one of the diagnoses sounded exactly like what you would say if someone was diagnosed as being a poet. And that's what he realized when it was happening, I think. So, um well, you know what? Let's take, we'll take a short break. Um, today, Tung Hui, who is here, we're going to be hearing poems from Mine, The Book of Motion, Greenhouses and Lighthouses. And we're going to be hearing more about his, his current project, Last Time You Cried. I'm T. Hetzel. You've got living writers. We'll be back. Thanks.
back. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Brian Delaney is in the engineering chair. Today, I'm so happy to have Weiwei, Tong Hui Hu, here with me in the studio. Um, and so lucky because today is the opening reception for Last Time You Cried, and it's up at the Art and Architecture Building from 5 to 6.30. That's right. But, <laughs> but as you know, as a... Uh, a faithful living writer's listener, <laughs> just to presume, right? Um, I have a, a body double that's yeah. going to be there uh, between 5 and 5.15. So. Enjoying the cheese and punch early before exactly. Weiwei gets right. there. Right. <laughs> oh, the cheese. Yes. Uh, so I think that T is referring to an incident where I liberated some cheese uh, from an opening reception. I think that we Another one. one oh, a completely oh, different oh, oh, opening I mean, reception. Right. <laughs> Well, you know, getting to Michigan, everybody was so warm and welcoming that they had a reception every two days or so. So I used to joke that my diet was things on sticks and things in little small pastry cups. Um, yeah, that was... Uh, and, and of course, there's a lot of cheese at these receptions. And my office is right next door to most of these receptions. And I have a refrigerator in my office. So um, I've amassed quite a collection of reception cheese, I think is the genre of cheese that, that we have. Uh, and possibly a future manuscript. <laughs> reception <laughs> cheese. That's right. <laughs> Well, people are very funny when they when they uh, present themselves at receptions, right? So um, nobody quite knows who they are, and and they all have these stories about themselves to tell. And um, yeah, I feel like that's... and if you're you, they're generally coming up to you and telling you about crying. Right, indeed, <laughs> usually bad reception conversation, I suppose. But um, and that's when you offer uh, them chunks of cheese, uh, manchego. And manchego, I, I, right? That was a huge chunk of cheese that I don't even know how I got that past the guards. But I don't think I was wearing a trench coat or anything. To, to get that out. But, uh. Yeah, it was early days yet, you know, early September. Right, those, right. Those dog days of warm. summer. Right, right. <laughs> which we're heading back into now. Yes. So, yes. well, um, well, Weiwei, you had mentioned um, at, uh, more towards the top of the program that the Book of Motion was, you, you started working on it during your undergrad years. Yeah. That so you were nineteen when it was when it was published. I, mean, I, or was, when... I was really young. It, I, I think it was probably published a few years later because I just sat on it. I wasn't. I didn't understand that what you did with poems is that you published them. I just sort of thought you wrote them and then stuck them in drawers. But um, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I went to my undergraduate uh, institution a little young. I had skipped some grades, so um, nineteen was actually the end of end of that whole trajectory, and and that was right before I uh, moved to Michigan for my MFA. So. Uh, and I, I'd actually, I'd love to read a poem if you want. Uh, this uh, and can you, when you are reading it, is it something where you can feel that that nineteen year old again, or what is it the experience of it? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely something that's really awkward to look at. I I don't tend to go back and look at my own writing, and there's such a delay in publication that even if it is really fresh work, there's usually two or three years before it even comes out. So by the time you go on book tour, you have to act really enthusiastic about how great and exciting these new poems are, and yet you're thinking to yourself, I, I disavowed this a long time ago. I, I'd never write like this again. Um, I think that when I look at these poems, I, I, I am a That's little pretty harsh, actually. <laughs> disavowed and I never write like this again. Well, right. I mean, you know, well, we have a sense of drama as poets, right? Um, we, we like to think that the next book is always going to be the, the thing that will overthrow everything else that we've done. And yet, um, really, as someone pointed out to me, all my poems look around about the same size. They're little squat blocks of text that, you know, run down the left side of the page. So 
Um, yeah. What a cheerful person. <laughs> what were they? And their point was what? I think um, I I didn't learn. I don't think I ever got a good formal education in poetry as an undergrad. I think I was just really eclectic. I remember going to my classroom and saying, "Hey, I'm gonna write these poems that are kind of like prose." And and then you know everybody looked at me and thought this is really scandalous. And then you know a few weeks later, I, I figured out there was something called prose poetry that people had been doing for you know 80 100 years or uh, or longer and um, so i mean of course when you're young you, you think that you have this great sense of invention and you're you're creating all these new new forms um it's a, it's a good reminder that um w- one of the jokes i was going to make is if i ever have a collected group of poems um if you look at all my poems they tend to actually use the same images over and over um, loam loam do i use loam a lot someone said that the first book was all about dry skin, which I hadn't picked up on, but maybe it's just a gigantic ad for and that, and, lotion. Yeah. <laughs> the book of lotion instead of the book of motion, maybe. <laughs> but um, but I, I actually think it's kind of a cool... I mean, I noticed myself doing it, and then in my latest manuscript, I intentionally grouped uh, five poems together with the same images over and over. So that, I mean, this what I used to think was kind of a flaw in my writing is now something that I'm really interested in. So yes, um, and, and I, I think, and it's not something. Um, I mean, if because for example, if you, you read a lot of Pablo Neruda's mm-hmm, work, and mm-hmm. it's you know his whole lifetime, yeah. um, but there are things that he. It's almost um, like if po- poets, you know, it's it's working with the music of language mm-hmm. so it's almost as if they're hitting these certain notes that and that are become that are symbolic to them right. and you almost know like it means it brings layers to the poem because they call upon it a, right. Right. like a, like the wheat the golden wheat or the mm-hmm. <laughs> of neruda oh maybe i should steal the golden wheat for myself but i i really love neruda i really love his writing and uh and you're right that there are certain things that make it a Naruto poem, right, instead of a, a past poem or something else. So yeah, I, and I, so, I like that. And so loam, and and it, <laughs> okay, and maybe it's not all the time, but I, I noticed it at least. Uh, I think uh, a small, a couple of times, we'll say that. Uh-oh. And and I loved it though because it also fits with, um, because not only is it like some sort of of the earth, but it's a, it's a mixture. So I was mm-hmm. thinking even with your architectural pursuits of the time something mm-hmm. you might so anyway yeah and, and actually the original uh, title for mine was actually called dirt until my editor called me up and said you know someone just published a book called dirt of poems I, I even had a special carrying bag for it that was i stamped a dirt bag uh, for for the poems but so i had to um rechange everything and, and when i retitled it mine i had to write poems about mining because i felt really bad that the title was kind of a new one that i just come up with um but you're right there's there is a lot of thinking about loam and dirt and earth, and and I think it's probably because I'm not a very grounded person that um, I like writing about uh, the earth and the ground because um, it, it was even when I was in architectural history, I was thinking about landscapes most of the time, um, less the buildings or the cities so much as the landscapes that they inhabited. So, and then and then that's where this next project of poems, the greenhouses and lighthouses. Because that seems more of a land, like on a landscape rather than within something that's a busy city. Mm-hmm. Um, Greenhouses, lighthouses is very much um, my response to film theory. Um, the idea of illumination and water that plays inside of it. Um, essentially, during my six years of film studies, uh, I I responded to the amazing films that I saw, um, and some of which uh, the sound uh, soundtracks are, are being played in this program today. Uh, not with 
the discursive kind of academic writing that was expected of me, but rather I, I ended up writing poems about them in the middle of class. Or um, some people doodle, I guess, and I, I guess I just um, made made poems. So uh, that that was the reason why I I wanted to think about the relationship between um, light and the lighthouses, and and so a lot of these these poems in the new manuscript really do investigate what it means to to watch, to look, to take a photograph, to film something, to play back the film. Well, maybe that's what maybe in some strange way let, that's where we should start. Then, Weiwei, sure. would you mind reading one from there, and then we'll maybe work our way back to your 19-year-old <laughs> self, The Book of Motion. Oh, or, or we can just uh, forget all the moments of acne uh, when I was 19. And, and just uh, uh, So I'd be happy to read a poem. I think I'll just start with, I think it's the first poem in the collection, which is called Ars Poetica. Ars Poetica. The new words will be spring and summer. Poems will continue to pose questions of existence, though not as probingly as before, owing to the change in vocabulary, which stresses the social over the existential and having over not having. In the new poems, endings will be soft, quiet, understated, and images will contain recycled content. Some poems may be made entirely of used rubber tires, others of canvas. Canvas and luminous will be featured. Bougainvillea, however, will be replaced by creeping myrtle and a sense of grace. Unlike the winter writing, the new writing will be light and thrifty. Those lines once celebrated for their texture of brocade will not be mourned. Instead, they will be freed of unnecessary language, as when the elimination of your job made unnecessary the word fired. That anger, the least complex of emotions, thus the hardest to write about, succeeds the topic of malaise. Not disdain, vengeance, or regret, just impotent anger that the new city bears no resemblance to the old city, but keeps the same name. It is like the Sicilian town of Noto. After an earthquake, citizens voted to build a town ten kilometers over, also called Noto. Having lived here all your life, you can't find your way around. Water blue skyscrapers are everywhere, and there is a luminous river where old streets once meandered. Thank you, Weiwei. Thanks. Uh, yeah, that uh, that was sort of my declaration of um, why the word bougainvillea gets overused in poetry. <laughs> I think uh, I was I was reacting to a, a certain tendency I saw in in a lot of um, poems. I I sort of wanted to um, decide what was fashionable. I mean, you go to these writers' conferences every year, and and uh, you know, you go to these panels that say, "What is the new future of writing?" and and they tell you. I mean, I mean, or at least um, they, they... let's put one together for next year. <laughs> exactly. I'm not sure how how these poems. I, you know, maybe I think poems will be. Um, I don't know what I mean. The, we we've sort of gone through this this very creeping you know, myrtle. Creeping myrtle. I know. I think that's that would be a very nice word to use for next year. And. Um, Maybe maybe recession poems, uh, you know. I mean, nine eleven poems are really trendy for a while, and I, I even wrote uh, one myself. But I don't I don't know what the next disaster is that we that we'll be uh, responding to. Maybe that'll be the next poem for two thousand ten, two thousand eleven. But but are you going to go to the writers' conference and read this one then? Weiwei, do you think is that because you? Oh no! I, in fact, uh, uh, I already did it last year. Um, I I think um, I'm sitting out. I'm taking off my writer hat for this year and um, just trying to hide. I think that 
I mean, once you once you finish a book, I just finished this new manuscript. Um, you get a little exhausted, and, and I'm I'm just trying to figure out what the next direction I'm going to go in is. So that's why I'm sort of sitting out the the conference this year. But, um, and yeah, this this uh, this book is um, or this manuscript, I guess I should call it. Uh, is a real departure for me. I think that what I'm doing with it is, I'm, as I mentioned, I'm repeating a lot of images in it. Um, I'm taking up subjects that mostly are not from my own experience. Uh, I went around interviewing people for a lot of uh, a lot of the ideas in it, and a lot of their words are actually um, inside the poems. So I've, this is a poem really about appropriation and finding rather than um, expressing my own ideas. So, and, and I think I saw in the the Michigan Daily, mm -hmm. that there's also palinodes in there. Mm -hmm. So there's the re the retractions as right, well. Right. Are those are those populating uh, the you, the poems there more, or is it just a part of it? Uh, and and it's a big part of the thinking. Um, I don't know if the poems themselves ended up being palinodes, but. It, a palinode is essentially a form where you sing back, or you. The palinode um, literally means to to sing back or to recant something. So in Greek, in Greek, that's right. Um, <laughs> this is what <laughs> that's my one attempt at being cultured there. Uh, well done, though. Wait, wait. Thank you. I hope it worked. Um, and and I I wanted to write my own. I mean, I was thinking about. I have a poem modeled on the newspaper corrections section. I have other kinds of palinodes that really ask what it means to try to take back something or to try to forgive someone or to try to undo actions that uh, in history. So I think that's the, the idea behind the book. And um, it's something that uh, I've been trying to work with for a while. And, and that's what the, the, the structure of the book is as well. Wow. Uh, to undo yeah. actions in history yeah. as well. So not even things that you've necessarily spoken, right? but just to, in some way, I don't know, like an attempt to do some sort of healing. Yeah, <laughs> of, absolutely. I mean, there, it just seems that, you know, so much of the era post 9-11 has been kind of marked by trauma or marked by this difficult relationship with these uh, contemporary political events. Um, I mean, I think that it's something that's marked my own life. My parents met in an um, anti-war protest. They got tear gas together, which I sort of find very romantic as a first date. But um, I've, I've been sort of wondering, what is my own relationship with these events of, say, 1964? I'm going to Berkeley and, and uh, watching the free speech movement um, unfold 40 years later, or even the contemporary protests at universities now. Um, I wanted to use these poems to ask, what is my relationship with these events? Can I look at these moments of trauma through poetry? Can I undo them? Can I uh, refigure them into another kind of medium or form? So. And and do you feel, um, or did you, were you active in moments um, like the marches against going into Iraq or um, are those moments that you're thinking of too, Weiwei? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if I'm... Because is it about the action or is it more about the the language the, and the and the filtering and the trying to interpret. I think you're right. I mean, it's not so much the specific action um, than how we sort of remember and how we talk about these actions. I mean, it's strange that I have, say, of course I don't have memories from the 60s, so I wasn't born then, but I, I look at them through film or through photographs or reading about them through the language. And I, I and they're yours wondered. in some way. They're ours, yeah, aren't they? Yeah. Like these, I, That's why they're iconic images right. that inform whatever our foundation myth. Right. 
And, and I, I think that's a really, I mean, it's a great question. I don't uh, think I have an answer for it yet, but I think that these are sort of part of our cultural imaginary. I think the reason why I went to Berkeley was because of moments like that. Um, also because there was a soda machine hooked up to a computer. Um, it was the first one, I think, or was it a coffee machine? And I was really excited by, by that. Um, I ended. What up, do you mean exactly by that? Wait, wait. Well, I, well what, what they wanted to do was to be able to uh, place a soda order online. This was back in the early 90s. And so um, if you're too lazy to actually go down um, yourself and press the button, you could, uh, this is like right when the web was just being invented. Um, or if, if, you know, you needed to know that your coffee was, was running out and you needed to make a fresh pot, then you could, it would, it would the coffee machine would signal you and, and you'd go down and, and fix it. So I think I was very fascinated by, by those kinds of hacks. Um, and uh, unfortunately, when I got there, it was a very different world. <laughs> but, um, what did you find? Well, I mean, the, the truth is I found uh, a public institution that had very little money, and that's really sad to say, um, but it's, it's I think, the struggle that we have here at Michigan as well. Um, we were being, I remember being charged $25 for the key to enter the building that I needed to work in. Um, it was, I, I think, really tough to actually see how um, public education has sort of fallen by the wayside in California. Uh, anyway, it's... yes, let's take. Well, you know what? Let's take a short break and hear more of your your music selections too, Weiwei. Um, and we'll see what's next, and um, and then we'll we'll come back and maybe hear some more poems if you don't mind. Sounds great. Um, so Tong Hui Wei is who? Sorry, <laughs> Tong Wei who is here um, today on the program? I'm T Hetzel. Um, you've got Living Writers on WCBN FM Ann Arbor, and we'll be back with more poems. <laughs> 这就是我俩爱的开始就是我俩爱的关系谁难忘记永远难忘记我和你将要比翼要永远永远围在一起 别妒忌，别妒忌，要什么都给了你，要什么都给了你，这就是我俩爱的开始，就是我俩爱的关系，谁也难忘记，永远难忘记。看着我，别躲避，别躲避，要什么都依了你，要什么都依了你，这就是我俩爱的开始，就是我俩爱的关系，谁也难忘记，永远难忘记。
要什么都依了你。Welcome back. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel, and today Tong Hui Hu is here in the studio.、Um, could you tell us a little bit about the music that we just heard, Wei Wei? Oh, sure. That's、good. from the Peggy Wu Dance Company, and it's a、uh, it's excerpted from a film by Tsai Ming Yang、um, called Wayward Cloud, and it's one of the strangest films I've ever seen in the sense that I'm not quite sure what the plot is, but、uh, it involves. Dancers with watermelons and porn stars, and somehow they all、uh, interact in this strange mixture. So every now and then there are these musical numbers, such as the song that you heard earlier,、um, where people start parading around with watermelons, and then they go back to this very bleak、um, uh, country of Taiwan without water, and、uh, and then. And without the melons, right? Or,、no. Right. <laughs>、uh, actually, you're right. Maybe that is the link. I never made that connection before, but thank you.、Uh, and, and so, right. I mean, I think that there's a. I, I think that I chose dance numbers for most of most of the songs for today.、Um, but yeah, I, I think because it's the opposite of the kind of films that I actually have to work on, which are extremely boring、uh, avant-garde films that are intentionally boring to sort of provoke the viewer into some sort of、uh, different kind of. Uh, watching practice, but、um, and what what is an example? What is an example of that? that well, just- I, I I think it has to do with the duration. I mean, you know, we're really used to watching films that you know, say an American action movie will cut maybe every seven seconds or so into another shot and to sort of speed up the pace of the action. And so, when you see a shot that's you know three minutes or five minutes,、um, there's one that inspired a poem.、Uh, By Tarkovsky,、um, called the Sacrifice, where he he burns a house, and it's absolutely unbearable to watch because、uh, you're just sort of watching the destruction of everything that this guy, the character, owns.、Um, and you just see him running around, and you just see the house burning for five minutes. And the funny thing about it is that they actually. I think the camera jammed the first time Tarkovsky shot it, so he had to actually rebuild the house and, and then reburn it because he was just shooting with one one、uh, roll of film. So I mean, these are the sort of moments that he had to rebuild the yeah, house, the wood house, to just to、uh, destroy it once again for the camera.、Um, so I, I sort of love that story. Is th- those are the those are the The moments in film that actually are really moving and enjoyable—well, maybe not enjoyable, but moving for me—and、uh, moments. But and how did you find out about that move? Uh, uh, that moment, because that that wasn't documented in the actual film itself, obviously, because of、right. the the film wasn't rolling then, right, right. <laughs> during the interim, which could have been like a year or so, I、right. don't know, depending on your contractor. No, just kidding. <laughs> right, I, I suppose、uh, <laughs> that was a joke for Lorna. <laughs> Lorna's listening, but. <laughs> Um, I, I think that these are just sort of moments that accumulate. Where I, I've been trying to think about what it means to draw out time in such a way.、Uh, one of the classes I'm thinking of teaching next year is, is called "The Half Life of Images: Real Time After 1945," and it just looks at the way,、uh, say, film modifies the idea of real time, but also other communications technologies such as the internet. When you send an email, you almost expect it to show up instantaneously, and when it doesn't, that's the only moment that you actually realize. That the internet is is you know something that you know has to be carried over long distances is just as slow and and faulty as you know、um, the Pony Express or something. 
<laughs> There's still a traveling through. Absolutely. Less, less dust, perhaps. Right. Less horses fit uh, otherwise. <laughs> it's, it's true, almost the, that impatience where you're like, uh, refresh, refresh. Like, right, where, exactly. where is it? And I, I think I grew up, um, my, my parents didn't really support this habit, uh, this compulsion I had with playing with the computer. So we always had outdated stuff that would... Um, To just, just be really slow, I think that right now, as a way of motivating myself to write more, I intentionally pick the slowest possible um, internet speed for my DSL connection. And and so it, it hasn't worked. It just means that I go home and sit and hit the refresh button a lot and, you know, wait for the video to inch across the screen. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, maybe I am interested in this aesthetic of slowness because I'm kind of a slow person myself. Um, Anyway, you, T, I, I think you mentioned that uh, one of the things you wanted me to do was to read poems about loam, and, and I, I, I think I finally found out what you meant. Uh, I, 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 I do find we have quite a few loam poems to pick from, but um, if it's all right, I, I actually have a, a loam poem. Um, that's hard to say. This is called Pseudoephedrine. Pseudoephedrine. I'm not sick. I can't be sick. But here I am, flat on my back meek, tranquilized, elephantine, but still very healthy. Everything moves slowly. The girl next door has taken several months to pick up her mail. Lichen, ferns, and small vines are growing everywhere, turning the walls green, grinding the floors into loam. Similarly, everything in the refrigerator has gone bad, but I can't taste things anymore. Vegetable cardboard, leftover cardboard, a world of blank surfaces, most made of plaster, some from butcher paper. I feel a bit drowsy. All the people who are visiting me shuffle invisibly through the room, as if at a wake for a famous person. The one in my corner whispers to another, he was once the president of a major country. They're about to scatter my ashes over the ocean, and I barely have the chance to object. Look, my hands are floating miles away, and I have become massive as a volcano. And the only thing I should add about that poem is I hear that between the time I wrote it and now, pseudoephedrine is illegal, right? Because can't you make uh, meth or something out of it? Um, it has sort of a, another layer to it now mm. than maybe you do right, actually indeed, I mean when you... <laughs> I mean, if I Or maybe you this, did as a, you know, we all have to stay awake, right? <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I spent... Um, I, you I at least know. have to sign for it. I think if you buy a certain amount of right. Sudafed or something, right. you have to show your driver's license yeah. and maybe sign something to make sure you're not accumulating. Right, massive quantities stockpile. of Sudafed in your, in your... I mean, nobody does this with poetry or anything. And I've noticed that they put strange things... <laughs> be, I mean, I had to get someone to help me open the toothbrush cabinet recently, so I wonder if toothbrushes have become equally illegal. Uh, I mean, I don't know... The tooth, there, there was a cabinet of toothbrushes? I know they do yeah. that with razors. Right. Razors make sense because you could theoretically hit someone with them or cut someone. But oh, I thought it was just because they were so expensive. These, and, these are like 99 and somehow easy to pocket. <laughs> right. Razor. Right. I don't, that, I, I don't know why I thought that. It's because I'm a boy. <laughs> no, that's, no. no, I meant, why did I say it? I'm not, I would like to say right now I haven't been out pocketing yeah, right. big uh, razors. As far as or, I know, T yeah. is a, a perfectly legitimate and honest person. Clean um, living. Right. She's very clean. <laughs> 
Um, no, I mean, it's great. I, I sort of appreciate that, but I, I, I sort of wonder if someone is out there accumulating toothbrushes in their spare time um, illegally and obviously, uh, you know, sneaking off one at a time to, you know, uh, making a pile in their home. So, uh, no, yeah. Now I'm curious. Was this at CVS? Or yeah, this was at CVS or Walgreens or one of those, like yeah, that. one of those stores. It's, it's like going to um, a swap meet and mm-hmm. then seeing um, the Pez containers behind mm-hmm. a glass case. Mm-hmm. You but know, Pez Wonder containers Woman are super valuable so now, they right? Can, they can depending <laughs> if i had known when i was growing up that pez would, I mean, which is such a big part of my childhood uh, could could be a big part of my income stream as well i would have uh, held on to those a little bit longer but there's such a great invention really like the gull- candy coming out of a plastic toys Mouth. gullet yeah or, it's actually tr- more the neck usually oh, like neck, a, it's right. sort of is it regurgitating the, the candy, or what is it doing it, exactly with the candy? The bricks of candy. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a really confusing uh, metaphor for something, which I'm not quite sure. But, um, I mean, I, I sort of want to be that person when I grow up to, to you know, the, be the person who dispenses candy at every occasion. I think that's something that my grandmother and I have in common, is that we just hoard candy. So, um, it's w- true. When did, when did you start writing, Weiwei? Like, was... Because for some reason, mentioning your grandma, I was wondering, I don't yeah. know, was that something... Was she a poet as well? Um, I think, no. I I think, you know, poetry does sort of run in the family little in the sense that my sister is a poet now as well. Uh, but I, I must have started writing poetry, I mean, just the same as anybody else does. I was probably in middle school, wanted to impress a girl or something. Um, and I think it was at Charles Simic that said that poetry is one of the, the few things, that, or a love poem at least, is one of the few kinds of poetry that's supposed to actually do something, right? Most of the other kinds of poetry doesn't, you know, it just sort of sits there on, on the table. Um, but a love poem is supposed to actually cause something to happen to get the person to go out with you. Um, I don't think that worked in my middle school career, but but I think that... Middle I, school can be hard. Middle school is super hard for me. Yeah, yeah. I, I kept moving around in middle school. Um, I didn't have the same set of friends. Um, that's where yeah. you said that you and Sugi happened to go to the same middle school, right? Yeah, though I, I was, think we, we we missed each other by a few years, so I, yeah, I, I, I think I was I was shuffling between places, um, and yeah, but that that's it's been a while. <laughs> I, I think uh, I, I don't think the poetry that I wrote when I was in middle school was of, of great quality. So, it's, but you were writing poems. Were you also writing everything else, way way, or was it mostly these these love poems? I think I wrote. Uh, I mean, I think I thought of them at the time as humorous stories. Uh, I look at them now and I, I find them just horribly forced and not very humorous. Um, but what happened was that when I was in college, I... But you still have them? Then? Oh, no. I think oh. I, I I move so often that I think everything just sort of gets lost or destroyed in the, in the move. Um, or I remember when a burglar broke into my apartment and stole my computer, I lost most of the poems... Um, before a certain date. So essentially, all I have are these these books that um, I hold on to. I don't really have drafts or anything. Uh, Ooh, that must have been... When when did that happen? That must have been kind of a either terrifying or then suddenly liberating in some weird way. It was terrifying in the sense that for the next year or two, I didn't... Um, sleep too well and every oh, time no. there were noises uh oh because of the burglary yeah. itself yeah the poems i mean i meant sort of the the loss of the work i'm sorry yeah, way way but that work. is horrible yeah like if somebody breaks I mean, in it, it, the, the poems themselves i i think there's that idea of melancholy right that you're looking on the computer for something you've written and 
you're sure you've written it in a file, but it's not there. And so you constantly don't know what exactly you've lost in this um, in this burglary. And so, you know, I couldn't remember if I had started this draft of a poem. And um, I, I think in one sense, though, it was really liberating in the sense that it really drew a line between what was before and what was after. So, um, yeah, maybe maybe the poems that I went in afterwards were a lot better or improved or something. So I, well. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> well, could we hear one from mine? Oh, yes, of course. Without, that would be, and thanks for reading the Loam poem. <laughs> of course. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to read, let's see. Uh, well, I mean, speaking of middle school, maybe I'll read a middle school poem. This is called Five Dollars. She tells you to bring her five dollars. You go home. You look for change in the couch. You bring it to her. She turns off the light. You lie in the dark with your clothes off. Nobody moves. You have seen geese stunned after flying into a glass window. It is the same thing with your bodies. You hope something will change color. You hope it is something uprooted inside of you. You start to worry someone will find you still there the next morning. Your neck is beginning to get sore. You say, is that it? She says, yeah, that's what it is. The lights go on. You look down. It is the dew that appears after a summer night. Thank you, Weiwei. Thanks. And that, and that was, that was, that I, was not a middle. I, I, I don't, <laughs> now I'm stunned. I'm like the, the goose in the glass. <laughs> I, no, I, de- I definitely didn't write that in middle school. Well, no, no, I, <laughs> I didn't mean that, but I meant, were you going back to some moment that's, or, or, because I had no sense of that when I was reading oh. the book, of course. I mean, I, I don't, I mean, very few, almost none of the poems I write are really autobiographical, but I mean, I think that there was a moment oh, okay. in middle school where, where one sort of does wonder, well, what did they do? Do it. What? What is? What is it anyway? What, what do you mean by by doing it? And actually, I, I I apologize. This probably shouldn't be on the radio. So um, we could we could talk about something. No, else it's okay to say it. <laughs> I think it get, that FCC is thumbs up for it. Oh, fantastic! <laughs> but you know, what? let's take a short break. And and while I'm thinking of it, um, you're listening to WCBN FM Ann Arbor. I'm T Hetzel today on the program. Tung Hui who is here. Um, We're going to hear a couple more poems. um, And thanks for being with us on Living Writers. We'll be back. Bravo, Monsieur Segalos, ça c'est du meuble.
Cette fois, c'est le moment d'ouvrir une deuxième parenthèse et de décrire les sentiments des personnages. regarde sans arrêt ses pieds, mais il pense à la bouche de Dill, à ses baisers romantiques. Welcome back. You're listening to Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel, and today I have Tang Hui Hu here in the studio on WCBN FM Ann Arbor Freeform Radio at its finest. And that was an awesome song. Will you tell us a little bit about that? Because Brian really loves that, too. Oh, sure. Uh, he, was, yeah. <laughs> he, was, he was very pleased with your song picks today. <laughs> it's rad. Well, uh, the three of them, uh, this is a Godard film called Vivre sa vie, My Life to Live, I think, by, with uh, Anna Karina. And the three of them are in a cafe, and they decide to observe a minute of silence. And then midway through that minute of silence, so there's actually no sound at all in the film. And then all of a sudden, uh, the person gets really bored with this and says, all right, enough. And then they spontaneously, uh, the Jig Fox starts playing a song, and they spontaneously get up and start dancing. So I think they call it this, the Madison dance. Um, it was by Michel Legrand. And uh, it's it's just one of my favorite films in the sense that um, another scene, uh, they try to break the world's record for the fastest time they uh, to go through a museum so they link hands and run through the louvre and i don't remember how long it takes but but i know that i've i've certainly uh, tried to beat that record many a time in my own uh, museum going experiences I, I think i've done three minutes in the philly art museum uh so yeah i mean it's, it's been an inspiring film all around so. i accidentally oh. did that with the sistine chapel too but it was oh, more no. because it was gonna close and it was like trying to find it in that that old old <laughs> Those old cathedrals. <laughs> Oops, one correction. Uh, I'm sorry, it's from Band of Outsiders. I, I, I just say that so that my um, film colleagues won't think uh, I'm a total screw-up. Uh, yeah, no, I, I... Reputation, reputation, Weiwei. Uh, yeah, my, my, oh, my reputation. No, I, does that mean there's something about our personalities that tends to go into chapels and museums, right, you know, five minutes before they close? I mean, maybe there's just... It could uh, be. Yeah. <laughs> That's true, yes. Actually, Look, I'm even running late to my own reception, so I mean, there's something that, you know, about lateness you, that I'm really good at. You Exactly, you're right, it's true. Yeah. That's but I mean, another... that's—I mean, Michigan time I think helps a lot with this. Like, if Sistine, if the Sistine Chapel had Michigan time and it just sort of extended a little bit, or if they're a little bit more flexible, I think that we'd be a lot better off. Um, but I think they're really strict about those things in Europe too. I remember trying to bribe a museum guard in Greece, <laughs> and they were on strike. And uh, this is horrible to admit because I'm in all, all in solidarity of the strike. But but I really also had just gone to create to see Nossos and. And so we tried to slip him a 20 euros or something. And I'd never really bribed someone before. I was, I'd only seen it in movies, and I was much less suave about it. And I think he looked at the bill and decided, what is this? And, and you know, Because what is really 20 euros? I know, right? It doesn't exactly. seem that flashy, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'm, good I'm so, for an Easter egg I'm or something. I was a starving student. It's terrible. No, no. this is all I had. It. Of course, I had to end up uh, climbing over the fence in order to, to um, get inside. But, uh, yeah, no, you're right. You're right. And I, then the story really begins. Well, I mean, I, I don't know. It, 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 it's still a, a good memory to be roaming around the, the you know, 
ruins because um, first they're really gorgeous. They're painted, uh, and and also I guess they did have guards patrolling every now and then. So every now and then we'd had to sort of duck under a column or something while the guards went past us. But um, no, you're right. No, I I think that I mean, T. When was the last time you bribed somebody? Because maybe that's the that's the right answer. Maybe I, I should be learning uh, from you how, how to get into things for. Uh, I, I can't be the instructional guide on this one. Wait, oh, wait. Oh, 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 oh dear. <laughs> but I, it does make me think of your your idea of time based art. Because mm-hmm. in a way, if only someone could have been filming mm-hmm. what you and your friend were doing as you were kind of dodging and weaving mm-hmm. to see to be in this art or right, this right. history and and the guards coming through. <laughs> Hopefully without guns. Right. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what was at stake really here. I, um, yeah, I don't think that. Um, but it does seem like a cinematic moment. Yeah. Well, I I think that I like cinematic moments, but I don't actually have a very dramatic life. I mean, someone wanted to film me for uh, Hong Kong cable television, and they wanted to film me at work. And I said, you know, looking at a poet all day at work means um, them at the desk, sort of moving a pen around the the piece of paper. There's nothing interesting at all visually about it. So, um, no, it, it's true. I, I sort of wish that that these things existed but um really you know the life is is just you know lots of cups of tea and uh, a dictionary and flipping through that that's the process that happens for me so poet way way yeah that's right but, you know you were in a film though a documentary what is shakespeare right if you oh, go on true. imdb you're listed there yes i was in a film then um they they asked me to talk to read my favorite shakespeare uh, poem and uh, the, the, yeah, I, I don't, I don't think that ever brought me anything. Um, I don't think Shakespeare is is really. <laughs> He's the... rolling in his grave, right? Now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? You're connected to me somehow. <laughs> Isn't that enough for you? <laughs> Oh, never fill his shoes. So, um, right, yeah, um, and I think that's the only film that I've been in. If if anybody who's listening wants to put me in another film, um, then I'd be really happy. Especially, particularly a boring avant-garde film. I really would like to be in one of those. So, uh, you're their man, right? That's right. <laughs> well, Weiwei, Wei, you're actually going to have to dash to the reception now in the Art and Architecture Building right. for second last, floor. Sec, oh, second floor uh-huh. for last time you cried, mm-hmm. and everyone, um, you're welcome to join. Yes, right? please, please come out and visit we'll we'll be showing it off uh, until i'll be there until 6 30 today and the exhibit will be up until april 8th um it's on the second floor of the art and architecture building at 2000 bonnesteel and there'll be desserts and tears tonight so i hope that y'all come out and is it fair to say there might be some cheese? I, I, you know, I didn't pick the food this time. This is this is the collaboration part <laughs> of it, right? So. And and what we're going to hear, um, uh, way way as you as you leave us is actually some pieces right. from last time you cried. Yes, I'm really thankful to the readers that volunteered to read these computer generated poems. So what you'll hear are uh, four poems. The title of each poem is, is the the name of the city, and then the time the original caller called. So, uh-huh. uh, And with that, I guess I'll turn it back to you. Tia. Okay. Thank you so much, Weiwei, for Thank being you. on the program. And um, and one more announcement. Today, um, Michigan's own Megan Lavad and Josie Kearns will be reading at Crazy Wisdom Bookstore at 7 o'clock. So after the, the opening reception for The Last Time You Cried, you could head over to Crazy Wisdom and hear some more 
hear some poems next week on Living Writers. Um, we've got Deborah Eisenberg. Uh, her latest uh, is out. It's her collected of the short stories. Bye, Wei Wei. Thanks so much. Um, you've been listening to Living Writers. Uh, thanks again to Brian Delaney for engineering. Um, my guest today, Tang Hui, who, um, again, you can go up and see The Last Time You Cried, um, his his uh, latest art collaborative project, and this runs through April 8th at the Arc and Art and Architecture Building. I'm T. Hetzel. Thanks for listening. Until next time. Detroit, Michigan, 5.12 p.m. As time expired from the hotel, you could easily walk. I really don't know what's going on here, but I think I might be pregnant, and I don't know what to do with that information. And I don't owe it to anyone, and I'm with someone, and spend the rest of my life in the dark. And I don't, you know, kiss and tell. So, if I am pregnant, flee quick. I'll keep being selfish if that's okay. Me and my partners, we couldn't have children and decided to adopt. I don't know if I can put myself back together. Wanted to tell us when you wrote this? If you include the phones from my family. If they were going to go through, it would be like moving a mountain. What is going on in a day, a few minutes, watching the puppies? Danny and I don't know why. I'm calling to tell you that I do not support the health care proposal, and so on. I'll be able to catch it on YouTube tomorrow. I wasn't even sure if I was playing hide-and-seek. You're not pro-choice, Susan. I think I've made that decision. I'm just trying to think of the proper wording to give him back. Thank you. San Francisco, California, 12.43 a.m. I was sitting there, kind of dumbfounded in my apartment. We'll try to clean it up, ready to leave the next morning for San Francisco. I just really lost it, with both of us. I'm leaving out for you, and we all have to move. Let me live. I was Daniel wrestling with the lion. I was in the city. Difficult to get to. And now. You can do it! The Daily Sports Report. You can do it all night long! On 88.3 WCBN FM Ann Arbor. And welcome. I'm your host today on the DSR, Bill Rothwell, here in the studio with two of my favorite people, Adam Brewster and Tim Rohan. We'll bring you the news for the next 15 minutes around the sporting world. We'll start it off today with Tim. Tim has Michigan news. Tim, what do you got for us? Oh, Bill, first off, i got to talk about how great the weather is outside today. Okay. It's sunny, 71 degrees. I'm sure you guys enjoyed the weather, right? Hey, it's going to be great the rest and through the weekend. The rest of the week through the weekend. My teacher today told me that the all-time record in Ann Arbor on April 1st, the all-time high is 78 degrees. We could break that tomorrow. So, you know, I don't know how the sports world's looking, but the world itself is looking pretty good. What will we do with ourselves if we break the record weather-wise? But no, it's a very good day. Sports is all about records. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, good weather is always good for sports. I played catch today, some baseball for well, the first time. Oh, well, there you go. That's yeah. what happened in mm-hmm. Michigan sports. Yeah. <laughs> no, but seriously, 